Welcome to the Equipping You podcast, where our mission is to equip Alliance pastors and leaders to live spiritually healthy lives and lead healthy churches. Equipping You is a ministry of the Christian and Missionary Alliance. For more information on this podcast and other ministries of the Alliance, visit equippingyou.org. Hey, 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 welcome back to Equipping You podcast. This is drum roll, please. Season seven, episode seven. We have reached perfection. We have. Woo-hoo. It's a good time to go to Vegas. Seven and seven. That's no. never a good time That's to go to Vegas. Caitlin. <laughs> uh, we're coming to you today from Columbus, Ohio. Ohio is the home of Swenson's Drive-In. So I guess I need to experience that. You probably you do. do. Probably do. Should grab a mid-afternoon snack on the way across this afternoon, okay. uh, Alan. And uh, I en- will be tempted. Enjoy that. I'm Terry, Church Ministries Leader for the Alliance. And I'm Alan, uh, Eastern PA Alliance Team Member. And I'm Caitlin, Equipping You Producer. And also with us is Isaac Charles, the silent listener to every conversation. Glad he's here uh, with us. And today, Alan, we're going to continue these uh, biographical interviews that we've started, started one in season six with uh, Jim Rudd, a good friend of ours. And now today, uh, the pastor of North Springs Alliance Church in Colorado Springs, Spencer Sweeting, also a good friend of ours. Uh, Eastern PA guy now out uh, in the former home of the Christian and Missionary Alliance. Indeed. And uh, I just really look forward to this conversation. Uh, Spence is uh, insightful and uh, articulate and I think really helpful to us as we deal with uh, some of the trends in uh, the evangelical church today. And he's just a interesting person. He is an interesting person. He refers to someone else as the most interesting man in the Alliance later, but uh, he certainly has to make this list. He's right up there. He's right up there. So grab yourselves appropriately a Swenson's drive-in chocolate milkshake. Sit back, relax. Here we go. And it's our privilege to welcome to Equipping You Podcast, Spencer Sweeting. Welcome, Spence. How's it going, guys? It's going great. Friends. Good to be here with you. Yeah, we're thankful for you uh, being with us. So, hey, we like to let our listeners get to know our guests. In fact, these are biographical interviews uh, that we're starting to do. So uh, tell us a bit of your story, your family of origin, where you grew up, how you came to know Christ. Tell us about your family now, all kinds of things. Yeah. Well, I was born and raised in Williamsport, Pennsylvania, the the home of Little League Baseball. And uh, my mom came from a farming family in Northeast PA and uh, came to the quote unquote big city for college. (laughs) And, uh, my dad was a local kid from the hood and they fell in love and I came along shortly thereafter. Um, but when I was young, my family didn't go to church. We, we had this sort of vaguely Christian worldview though. Uh, I was taught that there was a God who was in charge of everything, but I didn't really have a whole lot to do with my life. Um, and my parents were, were, were good folks, but we weren't a very happy home. And one thing led to another. And when I was a teenager, my mom gave my dad an ultimatum to, to get his life together. And about that time, a friend invited him to go to Syracuse, New York, uh, for a large Christian men's gathering in the carrier dome called wow. promise keepers. Wow. 
Yeah. And I actually, um, uh, if you've ever read uh, Rosario, Rosario Butterfield's The Gospel Comes with the House Key, she talks about how uh, her journey started with her critique of that particular event in Syracuse. My dad was at that event and oh, so cool. it was there. It was there that he committed his life to the Lord and he came home and started dragging us all to church, much to my teenage chagrin. <laughs> uh, but but we plugged into this this little church in our neighborhood called Ebenezer Baptist. Um, it was what our, our good friend Calvin Walker would call a Bapticostal. Uh, and it was, it was a small church, but there's a lot of energy in the room every week. People got their workouts in, you know, running and shouting and singing and uh, services might go three, four hours. Uh, if you were faithful, though, you came to the earlier service and Sunday school. Uh, and so lunch wasn't until about three o'clock in the afternoon every Sunday. Uh, but, but my family dove right in and my mom and dad became part of the leadership. I like to say that, that while I was resistant, uh, the spirit was resilient. Mm-hmm. And uh, a music minister by the name of Steve Dixon took a special interest in me and um, he helped grow my love for music, had me learning different instruments, singing choir, uh, songs with the choir. Uh, I was sort of like his assistant choir director. Um, and Steve's investment in me kind of helped me stay tethered to the church, even when I didn't really have much interest in walking with the Lord. Eventually got found other ways to get my attention. I, I fell in with a, with a group of friends from the music program school who did this thing every weekend called Youth Group. And then some of my teammates uh, and I started hanging out with one of our coaches who led this thing called Young Life. Wow. And, and then I met a church girl and kind of all those things came together. God was saturating my life with his presence and I was learning his word and I uh, was having fellowship with his people. And, and it all culminated in my decision to follow Jesus. It, it was, I can remember it. It was my bedroom. Uh, Christmas break in my senior year of high school. I was listening to Worlds Apart by Jars of Clay. Wow. Still, wow. still an all-time, all-time Christian Absolutely. album. Absolutely. Uh, and I can point to that moment as the first time I said yes to Jesus. Yeah. Um, and then as a new Christian, I went to Penn State University. Um, at, the, at the time that I went to school, it was the number one party school in the country, according <laughs> to some news outlets. And my parents actually had all of the deacons of the church. They were like the elders of the church um, in, in that church's polity. Uh, but th- they all came over to my house and laid hands on me before <laughs> my parents took me to school. Um, my first week on campus, I found this incredible church at Penn State, right on campus, right in the heart of campus, um, that was meant for and led by college students. And it was called Alliance Christian Fellowship. Shout out to them. There you go. Yes. And men. (laughs) Yes. And that's how I discovered the Alliance. That was my first taste of the Alliance. And um, that's where uh, a lot of my early spiritually formative years took place in that church on that campus learning to be a follower of Jesus and live on mission. And that's where I received my call um, to ministry. And uh, fast forward a few years later, I I took a job back in Williamsport as a worship leader and youth pastor uh, for the church where I had gone to youth group with those friends. And I I, I like to say that I I loved my youth pastor so much that I uh, took over his job and married his sister because I met his, his little sister, Beth. And uh, she was and is uh, the most fun and gifted person I know. Uh, you guys know her, mm-hmm. and her love her love for the Lord is is contagious. And, and despite my uh, my clear disadvantages, um, I was able to woo her 
<laughs> and and this year we will have been married 15 years along the way. We've had three incredibly fun, strong girls and a few dogs. Um, been able to plant uh, one of the most beautiful expressions of gospel community I've ever been a part of. And now we're on a new adventure in Colorado Springs. So that's a lot. And that's about 20 years of history. And of the story, man, a couple of minutes hard for me to argue against uh, a beautiful expression of city Alliance since my son was hired by you to work there and is still there. So thank you for that. Yes. Yeah. It's all in the family. <laughs> well, man, you know, one of the things that's become so favorite to us, guys, and I'm, as you have certainly heard this answered a few by a few other leaders, is we just want to hear who who specifically has encouraged you in your leadership and your personal life, been influential in helping you to be who God has made you to be today. There's there's a lot of people, and, I, and I'm a big reader, but really, I would say the three people that are most formative, especially early for me, um, the first person that comes to mind is my mom. Um, she was my first and greatest encourager both as, as her son, but also as someone called to ministry. And I don't think I've ever encountered someone who hungered for the word of God like my mom. She was often the first image of my day when I came downstairs in the morning was, was her uh, sitting with her coffee in the word. And, and um, the last thing I saw before I would go to bed was my mom in the word. And, mm. and you know, she could ever slow herself down enough to pause. She was in the word and, and she could talk about it. She could teach it. Um, she could preach it. Uh, my mom was a white woman preaching in a black church uh, <laughs> a couple times because of how much passion she had for the word of God. And, yeah. and it wasn't just that, but she modeled what it meant to be, uh, what to love like Jesus loves, what it looked like to love like Jesus loves. There were times in, when I was in high school when we'd suddenly have strangers living with us and I didn't get it. And they were not the easiest people. And again, I was young and I didn't get it. And years later, I learned that these were these were abused women that my mom was trying to love and create a safe space for. And she was bringing them into our family to, to help them be safe and to grow and heal. Another time I remember coming home from college um, and it was late at night and, and so all the lights were off in the house. And I was trying to quietly make my way to the room. And as soon as I opened my bedroom door, the, the air was like thick with hairspray. And I was confused and I flipped on the light and all I saw was pink everywhere. And I shut the door, went downstairs and slept on the couch. And it, it was a, a young girl who, whose mom had been sent to prison. And my mom brought her into our house and took care of her for, for about a year or so. And, and that was so normal in our house that my mom never told me. I just came home and found her sleeping in my bed. Um, you know, and so when I think about, you know, the passage in, in Micah 6, 8, what does Lord require of us, but to do justice, love mercy and walk humbly with him. That's, that's how my mom lived. Yeah. And I still aspire to that kind of Christ-like love that I saw in her. Um, but two other people that were really influential, I've always been blessed to have people around me investing in me. Um, but one of those people was Aaron Henning, yeah. uh, yes. who is currently the lead pastor of State College Alliance, but it was at the time the new campus pastor of Alliance Christian Fellowship at Penn State. And uh, my first Sunday as a as a uh, attendee of ACF was Aaron's first Sunday pastoring ACF. And, and Aaron, yeah. And so Aaron, Aaron's just one of the greatest developer of leaders I know. Uh, mm-hmm. And he and his wife, Amy, were some of the first people to see in, in me what I uh, didn't yet see. Mm-hmm. And I might not have ever said yes to a call to ministry or even planted a church if not for Aaron's discipleship of me. And then the other guy was Tim Fosnott, uh, my brother-in-law. Wow. Uh, he was my youth pastor 
uh, my mentor. Uh, now I had the privilege of calling him brother. And whether it was, you know, early breakfast at a greasy spoon diner, we went to weekly or going to football games together or uh, just late night chats at his house. Um, I learned to love Jesus with all of my heart, my soul, my mind and strength through from Tim. Um, I learned a lot about prayer. Uh, I also uh, learned what it looked like to love people who everyone else looked past. God opened a lot of doors for us to reach um, who it seemed no one else was reaching in our city. And, you know, Tim would always say to us, um, there was a group of us young guys that he was investing in. He would always say to us, if not us, who? Mm-hmm, yeah. And a lot of my passion and personality and ministry is, is me imitating Tim Fosnott as he imitated That's Christ. Yeah, wonderful. Love those stories. Yeah. Yeah. So you are the number one equipping you podcast listener, self-proclaimed and voted by the coaches <laughs> poll, I believe. Coaches. <laughs> uh, uh, Alan and I do not dispute this whatsoever. I want you to know, but there are some people out there listening who have disputed this. Yes. And I need you to come and defend yourself and, and uh, give your claim some credibility. What do you believe qualifies you to be the number one equipping you podcast listener? Yeah, well, actually, um, actually, Terry, I believe it was episode 44 that you anointed me the podcast's most faithful listener. Yes. And so um, I, I don't think of this as self-appointed. I'm just embracing the word spoken over me. Um, but I will okay. give you a couple Love qualifications. Yeah, I will give you a couple qualifications. For one, I'm going to go out on a limb and say I might be, I might be your first podcast guest who has listened to every episode of the podcast. You know, at first I was, I was tuning in because, uh, because of you guys and our friendship, but it's become one of my favorite podcasts. You know, every episode that comes out, I listen to it within a day or so, you know, sometimes I think what it is, is, is the show banter takes me back to those sweet, sweet times of Dexcom meetings in Eastern PA. There you go. <laughs> But more importantly, Caitlin's like, what was your Dexcom like? Oh, <laughs> uh, it was, it was, it was a party, Caitlin. Um, <laughs> but uh, most importantly, I think, you know, I'm just a huge fan of all three of you. Um, I have a relationship with all of you guys. Back when I was a, a fledgling church planner in Eastern PA, uh, Terry oversaw church planting during my early years there. And we'd get to have lunch and, He'd encourage me. And then when you became DS, you went out of your way to empower me when I was not only a young leader, but a minority leader. And, you know, I mean, a lot of, a lot of my confidence and growth as a leader came from just you putting me in positions to grow. And so, so I'm always ride or die with Terry. And then Alan is like the godfather of church planning in Eastern PA. Right. Uh, he was, he was planning churches back in the, back in the nineties before it was cool. Um, That's a Caitlin's only heard of that. Caitlin's only heard of that time, but I was uh, born in 1992. Wow! And, yeah. and before, not head. only before it was cool, before Alan was cool too. <laughs> in fact, Alan still. Knows. That's true. That's true. <laughs> That's true. Now the episode is complete. Yeah, uh, but it's great. But yeah, when 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 Alan uh, when Terry became DS, Alan came on the team to lead multiplication, and so we started hanging out a lot more and I've been able to benefit from his leadership. And I, honestly, I mean, I think of Alan as one of my closest friends in the world. I love yeah. that guy. Yeah, and so, you. Um, you know, and of course we brought, brought his son into our team at city Alliance and he's crushing it there. So, and then Caitlin is 
is one of my favorite people. She's one of the most incredibly gifted people that I know. And I got to be her pastor for all of one hot second. Uh, <laughs> I worked on that committee for a solid yeah. year knowing he would be my pastor. So excited. Yeah. And then yeah. the Lord yeah. had other plans. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So I, you know, she has a lot to offer and I love learning from her and, and uh, hearing her perspective on things. And I was looking forward to many, many years of fruitful ministry in Colorado Springs together before she betrayed me and moved to Columbus. But we're still friends. <laughs> and I'm grateful for her. I'm so sorry. But, but I think all of those things, at least in my heart, lead me to believe that I am your number one, number one listener. All right. <laughs> Love it. We embrace Great. it. Your turn, Alan. Yeah, my turn. So I'm just so sh in shock by this amazing interview and conversation. So I'm off track <laughs> here myself. But uh, yes, you already mentioned your roots are in Wilpo, as it's affectionately called, Williamsport, Pennsylvania, home of Little League. Uh, and, you know, you have some really rich family heritage there. So, you know, since these are the bio podcasts that we're doing, you're the second one of those. Yeah. We're grateful for that. We want to hear about that rich heritage uh, and then how that led you to be involved so much deeply in Williamsport? Yeah. You know, when I left for college, um, I never thought I'd go back there. Uh, I think typical kids, small town, small city, just like, I'm, you know, bigger and better. You know, I thought I'd end up somewhere else. And, um, with some circumstances brought me back, um, God was starting to work on my heart to consider moving home. But then my mom, uh, she was terminally ill and as I was finishing school and I wanted to be close to her, she battled cancer. And, um, and, and so, uh, yeah, so we, we ultimately, I moved home and took that, took a position with a, with a United Methodist church where I had gone to youth group. Um, but those first couple of years, I, you know, I couldn't wait to get out again. Um, but God kept impressing on me that he had a purpose for me there and that I was meant to be rooted in that place and time for, uh, and learn to love my city. Uh, but zooming out just a bit, I was blessed to grow up knowing my family history. Uh, my family had a motto of, uh, you can't know where you're going unless you know where you came from. Mm -hmm. And so I was taught from a young age, my, I had, an, I had um, an Aunt Mamie who was a local historian who knew our family history going back hundreds of years. And she would tell the story. She'd always be at my house telling the stories. I remember sitting at her feet in my living room, just hearing about the stories of our family over generations. And my family had been in Waysport for over 200 years before the city was even founded back when it was just a logging operation on the Susquehanna river, you know? Um, but one of the stories was about one of my heroes, an ancestor of mine named Daniel Hughes, who was a free black man who settled with his family in the area just north of the city with a few other black families, because, which at the time was, was uh, one of the only places where black folks were allowed to live in Williamsport in that time. Uh, but what made Daniel and his family special and just remarkable was that he was a conductor on the Underground Railroad. Mm. And he frequently used his job as a timber raspman, Waysport in the 1800s was had more uh, millionaires per capita than anywhere else in the country because of the lumber industry. And Daniel worked as a timber raftsman, and he would take trips down uh, to around the Baltimore, Maryland area and back to Waysport and north even to the New York border to escort black people who were making the journey to freedom out of slavery. Mm -hmm. um, and it's thought that Daniel helped free over a thousand people 
on the Underground Railroad. And I, I grew up hearing this story, uh, and it was highly influential on on me and my identity growing up. And, um, you know, in, in fact, I've had the privilege of carrying on my Aunt Mamie's work and passing down those stories to new generations. But fast forward again to my mid-20s, I had been working at uh, United Methodist Church, and I was in the process of becoming a pastor with the with the UMC. Um, I was interviewing with with the committee. I, it, it would be like what our LONCC is. I think it was called Boom. I think that was that their acronym. But there was a man on the committee who was a pastor in the UMC, but also uh, a historian and a professor of history at the local college who had uh, had been friends with and worked with my aunt Mamie. And he said to me, "I have no doubt that God has called you." Uh, to ministry, but but I do have doubts that he's called you to be a United Methodist. Uh, some differences had arisen in the process, but he said, I know by your name that you're a descendant of Daniel Hughes, and your forefathers were helping people find freedom in this region almost 200 years ago, and I believe God has anointed you to do the same. Wow. Ooh, wow. Ooh, and that was the, it was just like that. Like it was, oh. it was like the Grinch, like my heart grew three sizes for Williamsport. And um, it was like a light had turned on for me. And from that point, I I knew why God had called me to go back home. That was really the point where um, I knew God was calling Beth and I to plant a church in our hometown and uh, a church that would have generational impact on our city. And so for the past decade, that's the work we set out to do in planting City Alliance Church. And, And practically speaking, what that meant was being a church where we were investing in areas uh, where we saw opportunity um, for generational impact, um, generational change. Not just, we didn't, we didn't want to just do a bunch of handouts and drive-by blessings where we could feel good and then go and do the same thing all over again. We, we wanted Williamsport to be a different city, the climate of the, of the city to be transformed because we existed as a church. And, you know, what that looked like uh, in those years were things like being present in local schools to help raise elementary literacy rates through an after-school homework club because literacy rates determine dropout rates and dropout rates determine incarceration rates. Mm-hmm. And so we can change a whole generation by helping kids learn to read. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, coming alongside struggling families to break cycles of homelessness, um, helping create space for local immigrants to learn and practice English and get, you know, legal assistance, um, you know, addressing food insecurity in our neighborhood through a, through a, through a food pantry delivery service. Um, when racial tensions hit a fever pitch a number of years ago, um, we we got to be the hub for community conversations between local law enforcement and the concerned public. And um, I just think that that knowing knowing my history and and my rootedness um, shaped who I was as a leader to say that we always want to be intentional about saying yes to where we can help people find freedom. And where we can be invested long long term, you know. Another hero of mine, John Perkins, says that the the church is to be the incarnated people of God in the neighborhood, and you know that's really what our church was all about. You know, being a family of mission, a family of missionaries for the flourishing of our city, and that all that all grew out of just the heart, the love for Williamsport mm-hmm. that we began with. Great, love it. So uh, you were Baptocostal in your uh, teen years, and then you went to uh, that great Christian college, Penn State University, <laughs> and uh, under Aaron H- Henning's tutelage at Alliance uh, Christian Fellowship there. So a brush with the Alliance, 
Then you became United Methodist. And when you planted the church in Williamsport, you decided to plant with the Alliance and just wonder yeah. what, what led you to, to come our way. We're glad you did, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, you know, I mentioned, you just mentioned my first exposure to the Alliance is through ACF at Penn State. Um, I actually worked for the Mother Church State College Alliance for a brief time while I was still in school. And I probably would have continued with the Alliance right then and there, if not for my mother's health and wanting to get back home. Yeah. Um, but I also wasn't, I was, I was still new enough to the church that I didn't understand denominational distinctions. I thought of them purely as worship styles. And the, the UMC church I worked for had a similar worship style to what I had experienced in, in the Alliance. And so um, as far as contemporary worship, so I, I just didn't think twice about it. I just thought they were cool names, Alliance, United, you know. Um, <laughs> but but I never really left the Alliance, even when I was working with the UMC. You know, the band I was in would lead worship for a lot of Alliance camps and district youth retreats and I things like that. So I just had... Right? Yeah, <laughs> that's another podcast. Um, yeah. But but I had a lot of relationships with Alliance people over the years that, um, you know, when I thought about friends in ministry, they were always Alliance folks. And when I was trying to figure out what God wanted to do in my life as a pastor and potentially as a church planner, I just knew I didn't want to do it alone. And, you know, a lot of people I knew were kind of anti-denomination but that was never really me. Um, you know, I wanted to be part of something bigger than myself. I love the idea of being part of uh, a network or a family. And while it was clear that God was not leading me to continue down that path with the UMC, um, the Alliance just felt like home. And, and I still remember going to the Alliance website and just back in the day, back in the day, the website, oh. no, you just released one. Um, but <laughs> I, I remember just the the emphasis right on the homepage. It was all about the gospel of the Great Commission, mm-hmm. or how we say it now, all of Jesus for all the world. And mm-hmm. and and I just thought, man, that's what I want to be part of. I love the simplicity of that. I love the focus on the gospel of Jesus and the Great Commission of Jesus. And and then I got a phone call while I was wrestling with all of that from Aaron Henning mm-hmm. about church planting with the Alliance in Eastern PA. And uh, while that particular opportunity wasn't what God was calling us to do. It did open the door for us to to come home, so to speak, and and so I'm so grateful. Uh, I love being part of the Alliance family. I can't imagine uh, being part of any other any other family. I am so glad you did. Amen. Absolutely. Wow. So you know, church planning. I referred to me as the Godfather of church planning, Eastern <laughs> PA, which maybe, <laughs> but nonetheless, um, I do know it has its ups and downs. So what were some of those ups and downs for you in church planning in Williamsport? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think, I think every church planner faces some of the same issues early on. You don't have a whole lot to work with. So you just have, I mean, you're forced to innovate. You know, necessity is the mother of invention. And so as church (laughs) planners, you know, you're, you're just trying to figure stuff out. And so you're you're sometimes throwing things prayerfully against the wall to see if they stick and you lack funds or you lack people and, and so those were definitely challenges. Um, I would say maybe what, what was unique uh, in my experiences is uh, at the time, most of the church planters I knew were uh, either parachute dropping into places where they're complete strangers um, and starting from scratch, or 
um, or they were um, being birthed out of another church, but those planters were not originally from those areas. And so they were having to learn context and everything. Um, I was planning in my hometown and I, you know, I knew the city well, you know, I feel like I was like a walking exegesis for Williamsport PA. Like I, I just knew the city really well. And I think the positive part of that was there was a rootedness of doing ministry in the place where you grow up, where it's rare these days to be in places where people knew your parents, mm-hmm. let alone people who knew your grandparents, or, or in my case, knew the stories of my great, great, great grandparents. Um, you know, and that there's something special about that. I think it, I think it helped shape the culture of the church in that um, our rootedness in the city was always a priority. It helped us. It made a lot of decisions easy when it was time to look for a location to be in. You know, in our case, we, we had prayed for years. God would provide a space for us that we could be, we could be in long-term and, and he did. And a lot of churches that we do as they were growing, as they were being more fruitful, they were moving outside of our city. And we were, we just, from the beginning said, we want to be in the heart of our city and God provided um, a historic Baptist church who came alongside of us and offered us their space. And they came with it. It was about uh, a dozen or so folks that were all 70 and up who the church was just kind of at the end of its life. Um, But this building had been built in the 1800s and it's a beautiful, I mean, it is a gorgeous, it's one of the most beautiful spaces that I've ever been in. And, um, I miss worshiping there, but they, uh, they gave us their space and it was right in the heart of the city. I mean, we were across from city hall and then the newspaper and the movie. I mean, it couldn't have been a better place for us, but that all that rootedness was always a priority for us. I think the downside, it was really challenging planting in a place where you grow up for all of the benefits. People don't let you grow up. Um, mm, yeah. especially when they knew you when you were young. And so probably the thing that was most challenging for me was to, were people who knew me when I was a teenager or in my early twenties struggled with seeing me as a pastor or a spiritual leader in the community. Um, I remember a guy who eventually came to our church and became a leader in our church. But um, the first time they came to a visitor's event, uh, someone asked him, so how'd you get connected? And he said, you know, people have been inviting me to come to this church for years, but I knew Spencer in high school. And I thought, there's no way I'm going to that guy's church. <laughs> <laughs> A prophet is not um, in his hometown. <laughs> <laughs> but I think there was, there were, there was, there was, there were expectations, pressures that were unique to being home that it's probably the thing I noticed being most freeing, being in a, in a completely new environment where nobody has that. Uh, connectedness with me is that I don't, I don't have any pressure to conform to expectations of who I was when I was 15, 20 years old. At the same time, that, that lack of rootedness is something that I think I'm still trying to work through in a new place. Yeah. That's rich stuff. Thanks. So, uh, Spence, you started in at North Springs Alliance church in Colorado Springs in July, 2020. So we're right in the heat of COVID, uh, great timing. And uh, then in the first month or six weeks uh, that you're there as the pastor of the closest church to the Alliance National Office, the announcement comes, 
we are relocating. <laughs> so uh, walk us through the uh, kind of the emotions and uh, challenges of all of that. Uh, let me just say that was so fun. Um, that whole. <laughs> Since sarcasm. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I sometimes wonder if, if, if we, if we hadn't already been in the process of relocating before COVID hit, we might've pressed pause on the whole process because, because it was definitely challenging. But for us, you know, we had been praying about God potentially relocating us for most of 2020. And um, we'd been praying about several opportunities, but we said yes to North Springs. It was around the first weekend in March. And the second weekend of March, we told our church, City Alliance Church, we never thought we'd leave, uh, that our time was coming to an end a few months later. And then the next week, we were shut down. And so for us, the last two months we had with, with our church was filled with quarantine and services on screen. And it was a brutal way of saying goodbye uh, to the people we love. But when we arrived to Colorado Springs, North Springs was also online at the time. And uh, they were trying to navigate COVID without with with a without a lead pastor, they had a transitional pastor, and so it was a challenge to create those on ramps to get back to in person gatherings and to navigate COVID. And even when we were back, you know, you know, there were challenges because people had differences of opinions. As you guys know, COVID has exposed a lot of people's opinions. Um, yep. And then um, you know, so we're navigating that. We're trying to figure out: do we mask? Do we not mask? Do we meet? Do we not meet? Do we, you know, whatever. Um, and all of the people's opinions on that. And then on top of all that, for, for our family, um, one of the catalysts for us moving to Colorado Springs was my wife's health. And so we had to be protective of her significantly uh, immunocompromised uh, health. And so, so I started in July, 2020, but other than my installation service, Beth and the kids didn't attend worship in person until she could be vaccinated this spring. So, you know, just imagine being in that new place, complete strangers to people. There's not a lot of trust yet, a lot of hope, but there's, that's being dashed. Um, you know, it, and then the national office relocation, um, which for our congregation was an announcement that about a quarter of our congregation was going to be leaving. Yeah. And so, you know, it was definitely a challenging time. So, so do I recommend relocating and starting a new ministry during a global pandemic? Absolutely not. Um, <laughs> you know, I had a, I had a six to 12 month entry plan that had to be thrown out the window pretty quickly. But, but also I, I felt energized by the challenge of navigating COVID mm-hmm. as a local church, because right away we had to innovate. It, it felt like church planning again, you know, Caitlin and I uh, basically had to create an infrastructure to live stream services from scratch. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a months long process of trial and error. You know, we had to find unique ways to engage people and create that sense of community when we couldn't be in the same room at times. Uh-huh. And COVID was also, um, I, I mourn for any uh, leaders who did not take advantage of COVID being the best excuse to stop things that they should have stopped years ago. Mm-hmm. And so there, there was a lot of times where it was like, hey, it's COVID. We're not going to do that anymore. And we're never going to do it again. Uh, <laughs> so I think as a, as, a, as a church planner, I liked being able to kind of tear everything down to the studs uh, and rethink everything. And I think that in the long run, our church will be healthier and more fruitful because of the ways that we were forced to pivot and, and reimagine what it looks like to be the local church. Well, I told you a couple of times before this, you know, I think one of your gifts is as a culture builder, 
Mm. And uh, between COVID and the change in the national office, it really gives you a chance to see some new soil root, you know, cultivated. And I'm excited for what God's going to do in your leadership at, at North Springs. It's good stuff to yeah. have. So thanks. So um, one of the my favorite parts of our relationship is just the honest conversations you and I have been able to have uh, about race. Um, you've been mm-hmm. extremely helpful to me as a white man trying not to be stupid. And, um, (laughs) I haven't always succeeded, but you've been a place where I can just ask honest questions because I want to be not stupid (laughs) and I want to be gracious and truthful and all that. And, um, but what's it like, uh, for you (laughs) to be an African, (laughs) African American man, uh, in the evangelical church post George, George Floyd, uh, when everybody is throwing up all kinds of things and we have to talk about systemic racism and then there's CRT thrown into the mix and, uh, people have opinions about all things related to race. Um, how can the church, you know, become a better force for racial reconciliation in the world? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I it, it starts with, I think, taking a Christ-like posture in all ways. You know, I think of the, the passage always comes to mind when I think about navigating these waters. And, and and let me just say, as as someone who is not white, who is often at the table in pre- predominantly white spaces, these conversations are not fun for me. They're not things that I want to have to be talking about. I spent the first 30 years of my life trying to avoid the race conversation yeah. in white spaces. You know, uh, I don't think guys like, you know, Ron Morrison or Calvin Walker, or you had Myron Pierce on a couple of weeks ago, uh, n- uh, none of us want racial injustice to be the thing we have to speak about. Yeah. But oftentimes, in many cases, we might be the only people at the table who look like us, and so we get asked. And Kelvin helped me stop seeing those circumstances as tokenism, um, and because it's really easy to just feel like you're the token black guy in the room for something, but to start seeing those opportunities as, as being a trailblazer. Um, and. You know, someone has to open doors for the next people to walk through. And, you know, I uh, and other young minority leaders have been able to walk through doors because of people like Ron and Anita Morrison and and Calvin Walk and people who have opened those doors for us. And my hope is that by staying and being faithful in these spaces, we can open up the doors for the next generation of Black leaders. But I think it starts with a Christ-like posture. Philippians 2 is the passage that always comes to mind for me. You know, we see Paul say, you know, have the same love of Christ, have the same attitude of Christ who thinks of others as more important than themselves, who, who, and not being, not in a doormat kind of way. It's not a doormat humility. It's not a false humility. It's a real humility to say like other people matter. And I don't have to equivocate on that. He did not see equality with God. His privilege as the son of God is something to hold on to, but was able to, 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 uh, offer those things up and, and draw close to those who needed him, you know? And so I, I think of Philippians too, and I think that Christ-like humility and Christ-like proximity coming near to people creates Christ-like empathy. That's the way of Jesus. The whole of scripture portrays a God who, who demonstrates love for not only lost people, but marginalized people. Yeah. Right. And he raises them up to wholeness and, and yet, we as a society, and especially in the church these days, we seem far too eager to excuse ourselves from the quality and concern of his compassion, 
And we do that by, I think, having a lot of distractions. Um, you know, you mentioned things like CRT. C- CRT has become a boogeyman, I think, the past several years, precisely because most people who fear it don't understand it. Because, and, but it sounds scary to people. Uh, and it's easy to leverage to just dismiss arguments. And I'm not a proponent of CRT. I want to make that clear. I don't, I don't think we need to use CRT to have these conversations. Um, but it's become kind of a blanket you know, thing that every conversation around race is now thrown under. Um, but the basic tenet of, of critical theory is that in any society, people in power will do whatever they can to protect power. If you think that we need to appeal to a decades-old social theory as evidence of systemic injustice, when we have the history of the world, then you're being silly. And, you know, it, I, I've been accused when I talk about these subjects of being Marxist. If, if you think that Black people in America need a German philosopher born 200 years ago to explain the Black experience of the past 400 plus years in America, then you're being disingenuous. Yeah. I think that I think that we're allowing, we're just being distracted because it's easy for us to then excuse ourselves mm. from, from actually having conversations about sin's nature in the world, right? I say this a lot, Alan, we've talked about this. I'm baffled at any Christian who believes in the authority of scripture and reads Genesis 1 and believes that God created the world in perfect order, dare I say, a perfect system that he calls good and then believes that that in the existence of sin and the fallen nature of humanity uh, and that the world is now in disorder because of sin. And, and, and side note, I was in the room uh, during the emphatic debate at council um, regarding our revisions and statement of faith, where a contingent of our people wanted to ensure that a reference to hell being the consequence of that world disorder, disordering sin remained in more than one point of our statement of faith. Right. Um, I'm utterly baffled that anyone can believe in the existence of sin and the curse of sin, but that it can be in no way uh, be systemic. You know, God creates everything and calls it good. A word closely, a word closely related to 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 God's goodness is His justice. And if a sinful creation is the opposite of a good creation, I think it's safe to use words like unjust and injustice to describe the sin, the way that sin disorders the world. Yeah. And that's what we're seeing in racial injustice. And I don't think that we have to equivocate on it. I think we can have honest conversations about it. None of, no one that I know who is speaking out about racial injustice is blaming uh, white people for racial injustice. But what we are saying is you're, you're part of the solution. It's your responsibility as people who hold power to be part of the solution in creating a just and equitable society. And, and that's the conversation we want to have. And it's hard sometimes to be a black person whose experiences are dismissed um, because uh, it's a hard conversation to have. Mm-hmm. But I just appeal the way of Jesus is humility, yeah. Amen. you know, coming close to people in proximity who are different than us, who, who need Jesus and just developing that Christ-like empathy. That's where it starts. Amen. Amen to that. Powerfully spoken, my friend. Thank you. Thanks for the clarity and simplicity of that. Last question, two parts. Who's been your favorite guest on (laughs) Equipment Podcast to date? My favorite. You guys have had some incredible guests. Some of my favorite people to learn from. You've had uh, Scott Sauls, Rich Velotis, 
Uh, you had a great one, Jeff Vanderstelt recently. He was super influential for me on a, as a church planner. I would say a couple that come to mind is particularly helpful. Um, I thought the one with Katie Cole on developing female leaders, um, she's coming back. Super helpful. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, that was super helpful. By the time you, by the time they hear this episode, she will have been back. That's right. (laughs) Awesome. I'm I'm so grateful. I, you know, developing female leaders is something I've always tried to do and want to do better. Uh, I thought Reggie Screen's episode on racial reconciliation was fantastic. My favorite episodes have been the two you've done with Rock Dillman. Yeah, that Mm. brother has been a prophetic voice in our movement for decades. Yeah. And I think, I think retired rock is my favorite version of rock so far Yeah, yeah. because he's got time now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And you know, my, my ambition in life is to, you know, to be faithful in my calling and finish the race like rock is doing. Yeah. He's an, he's awesome. Amen. Most listened to uh, podcast episode to date was uh, rock Dillman second yeah. one he did. So. Yeah. And who should we yeah. invite to be a guest on Equipping You podcast? Oh man, yeah, I've got I've got some ideas for you. Maybe oh, you're. I don't. They might they might be on the season. I would love to hear um, a conversation on the history of the alliance with Paul King. Oh yeah, uh, uh, he he's fantastic. I love learning from him. I would also I also think um, a, a fun episode would be exploring the impact of, of something like ACF at Penn State. I don't know that there's a college ministry like ACF um, in the country and, and, and it's, and yet it's launched church planners, global missionaries, thousands of students in the marketplace as disciples of Jesus. It'd be fun to hear from past and present leaders like Aaron Henning and Dan Min and some of the older uh, ACF leaders about how ACF exists and the impact it's having. Um, But finally, the Alliance has the world's most interesting man. Okay. And his name is Jonathan Weibel. Uh, (laughs) You guys know, you guys know, Jonathan. he's done just about every kind of ministry and he's the best storyteller in the Alliance. I think that what he's doing, what he's doing now with front yard mission is spectacular. So, I mean, if you're around Jonathan, I mean, I miss going to district conference and just laughing with Jonathan for three solid days. Um, So I would love to hear my man, Jonathan Weibel, uh, get, uh, get an episode. So, yeah, but yeah, you guys do a great job. I, I love, I love everything you're doing. I'm grateful for the Thanks, way you're serving us. Love you so much. Thank you. Well, Jonathan Weibel could even sing on a cooking uh, He could do to that date. I am the best singer. The man had led a band <laughs> as the number one song in contemporary Christian radio in the 1990s. So wow. he has so many stories. To yeah. tell. We'll do uh, that. Terry. One time, one time, Terry, I was listening to the podcast and I thought I had run over an animal. Because I heard this squealing, and it turns out you were breaking into song. <laughs> yes, yes. Strangely, this that's one of the nicest, the nicest thing that's ever been said about my singing. Podcast history. This is beautiful. <laughs> Thank you, Spencer. I feel funny. redeemed today. <laughs> well, yesterday we were recording, and I missed an opportunity that that I intended to sing. And so, I thank uh, God so much for that. Yeah. So, hey, Spence, thanks, man. Thank really you, great. Man. Love talking to you. Absolutely. And yeah, uh, love you guys. Uh, champion uh, equipping you podcast. And we love you too. Yeah. You're a great Absolutely, friend. Absolutely, man. Love you so much. Grace and peace, friends. Well, Alan, great conversation with uh, oh, our good man. friend Spence. Loved every second uh, of Sweeting. It. Yeah, me too. What'd you hear that you really liked? I'm happy to say that Spence is uh, honestly one of the most intelligent and eloquent friends that I have uh, on so many issues. He just speaks clearly and, and with heart. And with a love for Jesus, I love his journey. I love that he shared so 
freely and so confidently about his heritage in Williamsport. Um, I love the connections to him getting into the Alliance through ACF at Penn State University. Yep. Uh, and to me, uh, you know, this is what we're about. So I'm thankful uh, for his contributions on a lot of levels and uh, I'm thankful uh, that we get to look forward to ministry from him for the years to come. Absolutely. Love this brother. And uh, so glad that he took the time to chat with us today. So uh, thanks for listening out there in uh, across Alliance land and uh, appreciate your uh, support of equipping you podcast by uh, sharing episodes with uh, your friends and colleagues next time on uh, equipping you podcast. We'll be talking to uh, Joel Repick and Steve Rossi on the subject of the prophetic in the uh, local church. So that'll be a great conversation. Yeah, I am too. too. So uh, meanwhile, keep the faith. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Equipping You podcast. If you liked this episode, please consider subscribing and rating our channel. We hope you will join us for our next episode. For more information on this podcast and other ministries of the Alliance, visit equippingyou.org.